Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Movie, the online curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast from FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anything about reversals or anything. I wasn't about to try to backwards speak, so, you know? You could have been I like, just, I just goodbye, took- I'm leaving. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a great episode. Uh, we don't have Bill yes, Graham it's... today. Um, that's not why it's going to be a great episode. Wow. Wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, taking his place and helping us to talk about Chris Nolan's tenant, Glenn Heath. Hi, how's it going, guys? It's going all right. <laughs> Off to a little <laughs> bit of a rocky start, clearly. Um, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. My name is Glenn Heath Jr. I am a film critic uh, whose work has uh, been published uh, by the Film Stage, um, Movies Notebook, uh, Cineast, uh, Little White Lies, amongst other places. And I'm also the managing director of Pacific Arts Movement. Uh, we're the producers of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for accepting the challenge that is going <laughs> to be talking about Tenet. <laughs> Yeah, one of the no problem. One pleasure. of the most heavily anticipated movies of this year, um, <laughs> and uh, here it is at last. In a way, we have seen it, and we're ready to talk about it. Uh, before we get into that, the usual stuff. You can email us podcastthefilmstage.com. You can follow us on Twitter at filmstageshow, Facebook the filmstageshow, and you can give us a comment and rating on iTunes. We also are available to be patronized at patreon.com slash the film stage show, where you can get access to our Slack channel and first crack at all of our raffles. And we're also brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before. And there will always be something new to discover. Speaking of discoveries, who boy, <laughs> they've got some good stuff coming up. Um, their spotlight is the psychomagic cinema of Alejandro Hodorowski. Is everyone that aware of Hodorowski? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I watched my first uh, Hodorowski. Uh, is it Hodorowski? I have said it wrong for years. I, I don't know. Hodorowski. <laughs> I have literally no idea. I've probably been saying a lot of names wrong for a lot of years. Yeah, I, I, I just, watched uh, Holy Mountain for the first time uh, this year, I, much belated. Uh, but let me say, it was it was very funny because uh, my fiance was in the other room sleeping, and she came out in the middle of Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain's a weird movie uh, to see without any context and kind yeah, of with you don't context. Think? <laughs> Uh, so I got some stares for that one, but you know. <laughs> well, they don't have the Holy Mountain. They do have uh, his premiere, which is Fando and Lise, and also perhaps the most famous of his works, El Topo, 
This is the quintessential acid western. Podorowski's notorious underground film takes a gonzo odyssey into the heady realm of genre, myth, and spirituality, using Eastern and Western ideas in the quest for enlightenment, a controversially unhinged cowboy freakout from the mad prophet of radical cinema. So if you're confused, and if you would like to know what this is all about, you can get a free 30-day trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. All right. I think that's it. I think we are I think we are as ready as we'll ever be to talk about <laughs> Tenet. This is the new film from Christopher Nolan. Uh, he of the Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, uh, most recently in Sir Stellar and Dunkirk. And this movie stars John David Washington, Elizabeth Debicki, and Robert Pattinson, amongst many others. It's hard to describe. <laughs> I um, I think one of the best things is that it's a Christopher Nolan movie. So like, if you want to see it, you already know as much as you want to know about it. Um, so here's here's the trailer. One of these bullets is like us, traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. Can you tell which is which? How about now? All right. So, Tenet. You know, this is a movie. <laughs> what are we laughing about already? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm so excited for this plot synopsis from you. <laughs> it's about a secret agent who's trying to head off global destruction at the hands of a guy who's gotten his hands on some weird technology that allows for a lot of Christopher Nolan timeline narrative mindfuckery. Um, <laughs> before we begin, I mean, this is, a, again, this is a movie that a lot of people have been anticipating and are excited for. You can finally see it in the safety of your own home. We're, we're not going to be able to do a spoiler section. I think we agreed. I mean, we'll usually we'll do the same thing we always do on an episode like this, where we sort of start nutshell and then just move to specifics. But just to head it off, if you're here just for our conception of whether you should see this movie or not, you know, brief one to two word answer. Michael Snydell, should people see this movie? Uh, I, sort of. <laughs> sort of. Okay. <laughs> Glenn? You know, I think absolutely you should see it. Um, you know, whether you'll enjoy it or not, I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you, I think it's a must see for sure for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. 100% must see. This is a movie that you must see. <laughs> you know, oh my no, god! No, no qualifiers after that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I mean, I we'll get into it. Uh, clearly, I I mean. <laughs> In the in the spirit of this movie, where things are moving both forward and backwards, like I could just say, like I have no idea if you'll understand it. I don't know if I understand it, <laughs> but I still had a, such seems, a good time watching this movie. Right. 
That makes me feel better because you are someone who can generally parse time travel movies. And I had the realization after this movie that I felt as lost in this as like ostensibly smart time travel movies, which I don't know whether that says something about me or the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just glad to know that apparently you think of me and think a man who understands time travel movies. Uh, okay, well, you don't need to pat yourself on the back that hard. I'm just confused <laughs> by that. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's kick off what could charitably be called our normal course of action. So, Glenn, what's your what are your thoughts on Tenet? You know, what did you walk in expecting? What do you feel like you got? Well, I think for most of 2020, Tenet was more of like a theoretical, um, you know, piece of art that was out there that I. Uh, <laughs> you know, was not going to see anytime soon. Uh, and then there was obviously all of the, um, you know, um, you know, basically each time they pushed it back, the release, it was a whole other like, oh, movies are dead, movies are dead. Um, but then, you know, when I finally did watch it, I was almost like, this is what everyone was, for, you know, getting all up in arms about. Um but overall, I I think the first time I watched it, I've seen it twice. Um, the first time I watched it, I was just like, this is just incredibly uh, taking itself so seriously. And then the second time I watched it, I realized it was kind of winking at itself for, for a lot of the time. But, um, you know, I think it's 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 as if like an English academic decided to start a fashion line and create a sleazy TNT movie at the same time and then tried to mash it all up into one, into one movie. So I found there's a, there's a lot to like about it. And then there's a lot to just groan about with it. Um, you know, it's, it's best. Don't try to understand it. Feel it guys. I, um, I love that. All right. Michael Snydell, your thoughts on tenant. Um, yeah, so my thoughts on Tenet is, like, here's the deal. I was actually super enjoying this for the first hour. Um, I was <laughs> like, oh, this movie loves the sound of words. Like, there's this amazing exchange where, like, three sentences in a row. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find it in my notes. I think it's assumption, presumption, and then deduction. <laughs> and they're correcting each other. I think it's the scene with Michael Caine. And they're correcting each other which with what language it should be and like I, I maybe that feeds into a little bit what glenn is saying about this very much being a wink at nolan uh at like almost nolan's whole career the way that the script is not only constructed in its mechanics but just its moment to moment uh flow like like this I, I like just the same the the sequence that has been talked about a lot like uh, don't try to understand it feel it there's a, a great uh moment where that same character is like you know the how or i know the what you know the how <laughs> no, i know the how and you know the what uh <laughs> and i think i think that stuff's really good um and really fun for a really long time um i thought john david washington was was fine in black Klansman, and i i thought he was uh, really compelling here um, in a way I wasn't expecting. I, I like the a little bit of snide quality to his uh, his delivery, and I love how 
every time you think you're going to get some exposition, like, it's just like, yeah, you, you, you don't need to know. It's cool. Uh, but that's all to say, I think in the second half, this starts articulating some of those questions and they become a lot less interesting uh, in the relation to a person who kind of uh, occupies a MacGuffin role, a, uh, a villain. Well, Maybe two MacGuffin people, actually, as I think about it. Um, and, yeah, I just, at a certain point, it got numbing. Like, I was really with it for a long time. And it's it's really funny because uh, the film stage uh, editor-in-chief, actually, on our general Slack, he, like, he's not generally a Nolan fan. <laughs> and he comes <laughs> breathless into our Slack uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and he says... Tenet is a fucking masterpiece. And we, all of us are like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, he swept What's in just happening? like, Tenet's amazing. It's like perfect. And then he started saying a bunch of things that sound like insults. <laughs> but he meant them in a very, like, meaningful yes. and honest, like, kind of complimentary way. And it was very confusing. <laughs> but that's all to say, I really like when this is spare, when it's it's very sleek, when it is winking at itself. I absolutely think some of this stuff is supposed to be funny because there's no way you can't laugh at some of the lines uh, in in here. Um, you know, it, like it's it's impossible that they meant some of this to be earnest. Um, but but yeah, it just it. I, I can get far more into this beyond it's too long and too numbing, but I just think it it does too much at a certain point. I would have liked it to streamline itself a little bit, and I think that its best moments um, are kind of this heist spy movie that has, you know, kind of this not placid, but more traditional surface and below it, something much more complex. But I, I think I didn't need it to go four more times. I would have been fine <laughs> with two more times. Um, so yeah, that's why I say sort of, I, I got a little tired of this, but I enjoyed it a hell of a lot for at least a while. Which is crazy considering that apparently you rank it below Hubie Halloween. <laughs> Hubie Halloween is fun. I, I'm not, good movie. Oh yeah. my god, I don't know what's it's happening. <clears throat> um, so yeah, I, I, I've i been looking forward to this movie a lot. I'm, unapod I'm unapologetically pro-Nolan. And I was just so excited to finally watch this, and I had no idea what it was about or what was going on. And I, I can tell you what is happening. I cannot tell you 100% how. I kept promising myself that I would try to watch this because I watched it like first thing that I could on Tuesday when it like hit VOD. And unfortunately, my life has just been a sprint since then. So I wasn't able to go through and can't just tell you like, oh, this is exactly what happened. And I understand it all. And I see the Matrix. I, I, I So I'm really stuck in the don't overthink it, just feel it kind of thing. Which I know could be frustrating, um, especially since apparently I'm always able to explain time travel narratives, according to Michael Snydell. <laughs> but I, ju I just loved it. Like, I, there's something about the fact that it's like two heist movies and three James Bond movies just slammed together. <laughs> it's 
some of them occupying no more than like 15 minutes of screen time before we're off to the next one. I love John David Washington. I love Robert Pattinson and they're like cute patter with each other. And just it's, this movie crystallizes. Yeah, they have cute patter. <laughs> no, I know, but I, it, that's like a really tortured uh, pun you could make there. <laughs> with the with Pattinson. With Pattinson, that's how that works. <laughs> Robert Pattinson has great patter, son. There. Are you happy that I did that? Yeah. No, not at all. But it's okay. Continue. Um. Yeah. So just basically, the the movie's crazy. It it moves in a sprint through its whole its whole. I don't even know what to call it. Its whole runtime. Its whole plots and. When it gets to the point where it turns around and literally says, like, all right, now backwards and in high heels. Like, <laughs> it's crazy, but I love the audacity of it. I was never bored. I also love that the movie has a very weirdly subversive, angry streak to it. It's it's sort of fatalistic in a way that I wouldn't expect from Nolan who made love the only other power that's able to travel through a black hole in interstellar. Like this movie is, is sort of like his, his weird nihilistic response to his own conception of like humanity's will to survive because um, in interstellar, it's like, oh, you know, we'll reach back into the past to guide our future selves to a better world. And in this movie, it's we're going to throw a bomb backwards in time to fucking murder everyone <laughs> because of global warming. I love how everybody thought it was about 9-11 and it's global warming. <laughs> Which is one line of dialogue out of like two and a half hours of yeah. endless dialogue. Yes. <laughs> Well, okay, Brian, before we get into spoilers, so other than that uh, it, it being an aversion from – or that fatalism being an aversion for you, does this feel like a like a Nolan movie to you? Like I'm a little curious about how you, you view it in that sense as someone who's such a big fan. So one of the questions is like how do you quantify a Nolan movie? And I think that for me from the beginning – I consider a Nolan movie like a, almost entirely comprised of montage. Like it's very rare that he just has a scene that plays out as an A to B scene. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you even think of Batman Begins, like the the whole setup is just like you know random snippets of conversations, and then like a twelve second or not even twelve, like a five second clip of Michael Caine, like smashing a faulty bat mask. Um, the prestige, you know, has a lot of like, here's a bird, here's a window. Here's like a half second of a magic trick. And like mm. Dunkirk basically took that and <laughs> said like, let's just do a montage. whole fucking movie yeah. that way. <laughs> like it's just a montage. <laughs> it's like the temporal time doesn't even make sense. Like I had a friend who said that, Dunkirk finally made him make sense of the third act of the Dark Knight Rises because he was like, oh, like concurrent action isn't moving on the same temporal timeline. 
<laughs> you know, so like when we're seeing snow in Gotham City and we're seeing, you know, Batman just beginning to fix his back, that's not happening at the same time. Like that could be three weeks apart, even though it's being shown to us. And I was like, yeah, that's Nolan. He doesn't give a shit about actually making his movies sync up time to time, which is then weird because this movie, it's like half of the point. <laughs> But I think that what, yeah, just the you there. This is one of the few movies where like you literally have to be able to make two different streams of action make sense. But I would say that this movie again. I mean, Gordon Ralph said it to a degree. He's like, you know, they they just kind of said fuck it with like exposition and making things make sense, and they just cut out all the extraneous stuff, and so. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just like that. I like the audacity, the, the, the madness that it takes to just say, well, we're not going to explain most of this. <laughs> like, we'll have one moment to explain what inversion is. And then after that, it's just going to be constant action. Yeah. And, and you uh, just kind of have to use it as a, a base concept that you're then encapsulating the entire film's action into. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, every action scene is just like, I mean, th- there's always a point to it. You know, it's not, it's not like that scene in, what was it? The Island where they're trying to escape and they just cause like <laughs> 400 deaths on a highway just to like get out of a building. <laughs> like in this movie, every action scene has some kind of effect on a character level, even if it's a very shallow one. But I mean, yeah, I like, I was just going to say, um, I mean, there's, there's plenty of exposition in this movie. It's like every scene is, is some sort of exposition, but it's like, is it the normal type of exposition, which it definitely is not. And I think the second time I watched it, every dialogue scene feels like they're flirting with each other in this in this movie for me oh, like, i don't know why or most of them like they're just like dancing around this sort of weird attraction that they that these characters have or they're like drawn to each other in a way that's you know not always sexual or anything but it's just like you know magnetic and they they're they're like using words to to dance with each other almost in a, in a strange and i mean it doesn't always work for me but it it was a different way of setting up a movie <laughs> i've never seen before yeah, I mean, just the opening of this movie is uh, it, it's it's a crazy like hostage situation that involves like three double crosses and and then another double cross and then a possible death <laughs> and then suddenly you're in the actual action of the movie itself. It's it's so weird. It's it's not the way that you're supposed to open a movie. No. Well, I, I love that the conductor is the first person to get shot. You know. <laughs> Oh wow! I didn't catch that. <laughs> and and no one else in that, no no other uh, hostage gets killed or anything. It's just like, nope, we're gonna shoot the director first, <laughs> <laughs> and then make a point not to not to hit anyone else. That's just passed out, you know, like hundreds of people. So I thought that was funny. Yeah, no, but that was then awesome. to blow them up, literally three minutes later. Which, it looks like the exact same explosion as the Dark Knight hospital explosion. Like, just. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I've how many different ways can something explode? In Nolan's <laughs> violence, the way he stages <laughs> violence. There's no blood ever in his movies. It's so well, weird. He he wants to have the PG-13 rating, and you're not allowed to have yeah. blood. I actually, on the subject of what makes a Nolan movie, I mean, I think he is better at bringing out kind of visceral audience reactions from a lack of blood. Um, I thought of in this movie, there was a moment that made me think of the disappearing pencil scene. And that's when he's fighting in the, the kitchen of the restaurant and he cheese grates a man's face. Yeah. It's a good scene. I, it is oh, a good scene. First of all, fantastic fight scene. Um, and then second of all, just... I, I saw that and I was like, I, I cringed on my couch. And it occurred to me that I didn't see anything. You know, it's not like a John Wick movie or something, but it still made me respond in that way. And I don't know what it is about Nolan or his fight choreographers or whomever, but he just is able to, with a pencil or a cheese grater, evoke a very real visceral fear response. <laughs> Like, I think it's because they're such mundane objects that I have a full conception of what that would probably feel like. There I don't know. A, there is a certain sense to speak to a later explosion. I, I think the... We're, we're fully in spoilers, right? Oh, yeah. I mean... All right. We're not I, doing I'm our spoiler-free sure. thoughts until last, the end of the episode. In the last, uh, you know, kind of supersized sequence, there's a moment where they try to create a distraction. And so they blow up a building, bring it back and blow it up again. And I think the way that that shot, um, it's more abstract, obviously, than the cheese grater that you're, you're talking about, Brian. But I think he has a great sense of if we're talking about that visceral reaction, I absolutely felt that when that building crumbled. Like, I feel like you really get a sense of of tactility to some of those explosions and, you know, when glass breaks. Like, when things collide in this, uh, it works really well. And that's so much of this movie. <laughs> so there is, like, that constant, uh, you know almost like pleasure principle equality to it. Like I, it really does keep hitting like a, a sweet spot of like texture that he knows how to communicate. I guess my, I guess where that loses me a bit though is, you know, I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, the potential like nihilism and the sleekness. And I don't want to speak about the ending yet, but I think what's so weird about that sleekness and that nihilism is that it's it's present and like so satisfying that I just don't understand why they feel the need to undergird it with first first Kenneth Branagh's character and second Elizabeth Debicki, whose motivation or sorry, who motivates John David Washington. Is that right? John David yeah. Washington, mm -hmm. stupid. Sorry, John David Washington's character in a way where I was like, "What? Wait, why is he trying to save her?" Like it, it that stuff, like inconsistencies yeah. there piled up for me that no longer felt like it had the sleekness. Like it, yeah. it's it's kind of weird you mentioned John Wick, Brian, because 
I feel like Nolan saw John Wick because there are a lot of things that remind me of the mythology of John Wick here, but not taken to the extent of John Wick. I, I think John Wick is all about this professionalism and all about tying up those loose ends and, you know, killing anyone in an operation who gets in the way or, you know, or things change at a moment's notice. And I feel like right. some of Tenet wants to do that down to the last moment where you think uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Pattinson and uh, John David Washington's character are going to kill each other, or at least two of them are going to kill each other. But I don't think it, I think it breaks its own rules with Brana and Debecky, like without getting into my general <laughs> annoyance with how Debecky's used in this. Um, I just, I don't understand what they were trying to communicate with that when like it would even be more thematic if there was no villain in this at all. Like it's very strange to have this person who is both seems very vulnerable and metaphorically invulnerable at the same time. And I like that as an idea, but it it's I feel like it has such friction with so much of the of the base narrative and the you know the almost the principles of this film yeah i'd I'd actually agree with you michael i found it strange uh when they would cut away to that subplot and focus so intensely on it and basically ground his entire emotional response to what was happening around her and like her and her child and like um kind of trying to solidify that part of the timeline in order um, everyone else was just kind of like, well, okay, I guess we're going to let you do that. Whereas <laughs> Pattinson and, you know, and we need to get back on track and uh, get back on this larger narrative thread here because he can see the <laughs> picture. And so, yeah, I think I was, I was equally annoyed with like him being so focused and fixated on that, that kind of subplot that really, it felt a little bit more toothless than than the other than the other parts, but um, I also think Pattinson is kind of a stand-in for Nolan in a way in a lot of this, and because um, it's really a movie that has never stopped being made. If if you kind of take the ending as a, as uh, kind of the the true north, the the movie has been going on for a long time, and we're just you know yeah. with John David Washington realizing it for the first time but this is this movie has been like kind of endlessly happening to robert pattinson's character for a long time um sure. which which i think is like nolan's response to like uh, you know him making the same movie over and over again but he's like saying no i'm not but it, there's different variations here there's different you know calculations and this is just one of those that uh, so i think the pattinson thing is the key to the to my enjoyment obviously because i love robert pattinson but um his point of view is constantly trying to pull uh, the protagonist, as he's you know named, um, back into the into the kind of the more serious and like uh, globe trotting uh, stuff, and then the the other subplot just feels very tacked on to me. Well, to me, I mean, I think you have to have someone who has some desire for the future. Yeah, in order, to, you know, because John David Washington technically already died. You know, Robert Pattinson comes in like a ghost and is just like, yep, I know you like Diet Coke. 
And <laughs> Kenneth Branagh you don't drink is on the such job? a... Oh, God, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> he did his research. He did his research. He's also been probably friends with him for like 17 years by that point. <laughs> um, like, man, how many more times do I have to do this? <laughs> <laughs> I, on an off note, I just love that it, there's a certain point in this movie where you're like, whoa, we're uncovering this craziness. And then just a whole fucking military unit shows up that's like, yeah, 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 inversion, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you guys late to the party? Yeah, it's like, oh, you, oh you're just figuring this out because I'm used to and dealing with you. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. I, it's so I crazy. Don't think any other director could make uh, all of these units knowing and being like unawed by all of this as like efficiently entertaining as Nolan. That that's what I will say for him. So that's like this I, that whole idea of where people are unbothered by seeing like supernatural things is something that really bothers me in a lot of action movies. Um and in this, I think it works so well. Well, because I <laughs> think is, what's interesting is, is that it, I, it's I guess not maybe that's oh, please. well, they're not flippant about it and i think that's the problem that a lot of movies do when they try to be like you know how like a cop will look at a dead body and make a joke like we're gonna have that happen with this person who sees like a werewolf but like they (laughs) don't do it in a way where it's like this guy has seen 400 werewolves they do it where it's like this is just a dick and i think that this movie is perfect with the the other people just being like yeah old hat whatever man like we're blowing up a hospital day you've never done that before like well, have you taken a woman hostage? Would you take a child hostage, right? <laughs> yeah, like... and then I I love that um, this might be the like the most purposefully and Nolan movies can be funny, but sometimes it feels like they're trying too hard or they're not being funny on purpose. And I think he actually finally strikes a script that delivers its own purpose and achieves it this time. Yeah. Um, between the conversation with Michael Caine, where he's like, you know, Brooks Brothers won't cut it. Do you know what? Ta- do you know? Do you want me to recommend a tailor? And Washington says, uh, you don't have a monopoly on snobbery. And Caine unflapped just says, not a monopoly, more like a controlling interest. I was just like, these British controlling interest. <laughs> and he's chewing his, his French fry the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and he just he's such a dick to the Mater D. <laughs> I love it. Up. Can um, you box this up? Not on your life. <laughs> he says absolutely not. Or absolutely, yeah. I've been, it's just like all really of funny. all of that's great. I mean, the the way Robert Pattinson responds to finding out that, like, oh yeah, the people who work in this report have ten seconds to get out before they're suffocated by hell. I guess. Oh, it's just it's uh, this, yeah. it's weird how like effective favorite. the script is. I've got two favorite little details that just really warmed my heart the second time around. When he says, I've messed around on boats, I just could not stop smiling when they ask him if he's ever been on a boat or has experience. I'm just like, what does that even mean, you've messed around on boats? <laughs> and then the second is Pattinson says he has a master's in physics, which I think is oh just incredible. God, yes. I mean, it's thank God he has a master's in physics. To help explain it to us. <laughs> At that point, though, I'm like, he 
he's probably just done this for 17 years and he's just it's like i need a, i need a reason a why i would know masters. it's a cinematic masters it's, <laughs> it's the indiana jones phd <laughs> what did you guys think about so so leading up to this movie being released i just you know you heard about the that he was he crashed the plane and that you know it was going to be huge huge explosion blah, blah blah and i actually thought that was the worst action scene in the whole whole movie um i am um, i agree he, with you on the action scene part because like they did crash that plane but what the part that i liked most about that was their little heist yeah thing you know having to hold their breath going into the rooms and picking the locks and everything like yeah, that part was was well done i thought i just yeah. i found it i was like when he when he gets too much ambition, I think sometimes he he kind of uh, shoots himself in the foot because I think less is more like when Michael was describing that building being kind of uh, kneecapped at first and then like the top and then bringing both back and just creating this really beautiful image that that was so much more interesting than just watching a plane, you know, cruise into a building. And it, it just it felt really cheap, I guess, well, for me. I mean, yeah, it's it was weird because, you know, it's like we need to do something to this free port to you know, allow for. And then it's like, what was it like? We're, we're going to need to crash a plane. It's like, you know, crash. It's like, well, don't be that dramatic. It's like, well, how big a plane? All right. That part's a little dramatic. Also, also <laughs> idea. So, like, there's, yeah, there's generally something that really. Oh, go ahead, Brent. I was going to say, generally, yeah, I agree that that was the least, for me, effective, I want to say scene, but more like aspect of a scene, because like I said, there's like four other things that are happening at the same time that I thought were awesome. Yeah. Um, John David Washington fighting the inverted SWAT dude, you know, and it's, I just need to watch that scene because like, from throw to punch to whatever it's it's like one of them is in control and one of them is not. And so at certain points they both seem to be traveling forward and they both seem to be traveling back. And then sometimes they seem to be traveling in opposition. It's, it's mind boggling. And again, I can't explain it, but it's so cool that I'm just still giving the movie points for it because it rocks. (laughs) I'm obsessed with the squeaky shoes in that scene too. To to speak of a sound <laughs> design thing, they they put so much emphasis about it, and even the camera is just so low. So you're just like the fixation and the focal point for so much of that sequence is just the the shoes squeaking as he keeps uh, you know sliding back backsliding. Like it's yeah, like it, like some of that stuff is. I, I think it has a playfulness. That is even like more interesting to me than, you know, like the Joseph Gordon Levitt in Inception uh, mm-hmm. stuff. Like, it, you know, I think he's he's playing with dimensions, but like it doesn't really feel like it's a theme park ride here. Like it, it's it's so much more. Um, <laughs> I, it's not like academic or scientific because it's dumb as shit. <laughs> there's something uh, there's a precision there that doesn't feel like movie magic as much as like here's here's how I can manipulate the camera and, and a person's perspective. Not so they, you know, uh, not so they feel like they're necessarily there, but so they can, you know, <laughs> so they can suspend belief, uh, uh, suspend mm-hmm. belief at this moment. And, and I think there's a lot of that stuff in here that's really good. And it, 
uh, Glenn, I mean, it's fascinating that you mentioned the airport scene because that's what I kept seeing people talk about. And so it, when I first saw that, I was, saw this, I was like, this is so weirdly anticlimactic. Like you see the wheels, you know, crush, uh, you know, Some dozens cars, of yeah. automobiles. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be something like a, you know, diehard level two explosion or something. Yeah. But um yeah, it's it's so anticlimactic once it actually crashes. Yeah. Like I, I think that's really kind of fascinating and I don't know. Maybe I'm giving Nolan too many too much credit for being not being humorless, but I think when you realize yeah, no, I totally agree. I think when you realize it's just a decoy for another like action scene that's going on that you don't know about at first, I think that made more sense to me. This, I mean that's what's so time. cool about it. <laughs> It's like Nolan literally being like, purposefully I'm going stupid. to, I'm going to actually crash a 747 so that I can have the pretext to do this other smaller, but cooler scene. It's, it's, and you know, it's, it's kind of old hat and kind of actually really fucking annoying to say like, Oh, it's all a metaphor for making a movie. But when you sure. actually are doing these things, you know, in, in a Marvel film, Mark it on your bingo cards, people. Um, in a Marvel film, if you did something like that, it would just be computer generated, and so it wouldn't really matter. But the fact that we know that this happened, it becomes a thing where you have to think, like, right, Christopher Nolan maybe had Robert Pattinson's dialogue when he walked into Warner Brothers and was like, uh, I want to crash a plane. Don't, don't be so dramatic. Come back so dramatic guys, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Chris, how big a plane? I'm going to come back to it from an entirely different angle, <laughs> so I'm going to need to crash right, right. again. That's <laughs> the best part. Uh, Chris, I don't know if we can make that work in the budget. It's like, here's the best part, though. It's technically going to be two different scenes an hour apart. It's like, oh, okay, then yeah. Let's do it. Well, and this happens again, too, when, when John David Washington you know, starts – basically, this whole movie is a spitball, right? They're just spitballing ideas that come up and the whole highway theft scene and he's like he's like and the fourth car has to be a fire engine and it's like why <laughs> why does the fourth car have to be a fire and then you realize okay but it's just it's it's almost like he's he's kind of flexing this childlike wonder like hey i'm just gonna take this toy plane and crash it into a i'm gonna take Again. these four gigantic vehicles and, and smash them together and see what happens this is Nolan's Fast and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons that I really love Christopher Nolan is, again, that and Michael, you brought it up, that sense of tactility. You know, like, I, I watch this movie and I see, like, I don't know, a, a military team of, like, 40 people launching an assault on, like, a weird abandoned city. You know, but, like, they're there. I can see it. <laughs> it's very, It's very different feeling because of that happening. And in this movie with like the the crashing cars and the weird heist on the highway, it's I, even if it's not like the biggest, craziest thing I've ever seen, it's just I'm not going to see this in this way from anyone else. And I, I love that. And so yeah. even if the story maybe doesn't make all the sense in the world, it's still a delivery system for a bunch of really cool shit that I'm, I want, <laughs> I, I love, I love movies full stop. You know, I love crawl. I love seeing alligators trying to eat people. You know, I love 
Manchester by the Sea. I love the last year of Marion Dad. I love what movies can do, and this is one of the things that movies can do, and I like it. Like I just, it's just a pure love of cinema shit, and I'm fucking pissed off that I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters because that's like the only way it could be better. Like I kept thinking of that as I was sitting in my living room, just being like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet this fucking rules on the big screen. See, but I, I, I think the thing is, I mean, beyond the Brana and Debecky stuff, which which I would like to talk in more detail, I, I, I'm trying to figure out where it lost me a little bit and, and pinpoint it. I mean, I think I think the scene where we start using the turnstile might be a little bit it for me because it's it's something that they want to, you know, they're trying to then give you a different experience. Like immediately you're, you're told that they have to wear a, uh, you know, oxygen mask, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, that time will be going in such a way that an explosion will be ice, you know, all of those, all of those things, like they seem like they're rearing you for a much different experience. And I think ultimately, from that sequence on, um, it started becoming like more re- more repetitive to mm-hmm. me. Like I liked the chutzpah of going back to Oslo and and everything, but like then that last sequence, um, I it just it's it's like too many times of trying to pull the rug. I, on me, and at a certain point, you know, you're looking down, and you're like, "Of course, the rug's gone. <laughs> Who cares?" <laughs> like it's, uh, it, it's, it, 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 but like the, the temporal pincer thing, I think is the temporal pincer I, I mean, movement. It's, <laughs> it's it's so dumb in like a, a great way, but it it's also way too long. I I think the thing about for as much as we're like you know. Um, lavishing praise on a lot of these sequences i think some of them are a little bit too involved in in, in their own machinations um and, and i think that temporal pincer is one too because i think I, I think the the spatial understanding in that last sequence is is really rough too uh, in a way that kind of kept taking me out of it so it's like this odd uh push and pull of like oh i'm trying to get into the spectacle but wait who am i watching right mm-hmm. now uh um, well there's the red oh, team we're, okay and we're the back blue to Aaron team. taylor johnson <laughs> i i mean like but that's the that's the weird thing about this is like it is still weirdly as as sparing and uh you know uh, semantical <laughs> as the first part of the film but it's still it, it 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 feels so much less um, impactful, and, and, and I don't know. I can't quite pinpoint where it lost me, but I think it's I think it's the turnstile, and I think it's Debecky and and Brana. Um, so I I don't know. I, Glenn, I mean, it, you you sound like at, at a certain point you didn't quite get off to the same extent as me. Mm-hmm. But w- what were some barriers for you i'm just curious yeah i mean i think the second time especially it made me you know realize the scenes that that i could find a lot of joy in and value and just kind of um 
you know, immerse myself in what was going on. And, and, and I think at a certain point during that last kind of saving private Ryan, whatever sequence kind of <laughs> war, multiple <laughs> planes of war, it, it, it does, it kind of reminded me of some of the chase scenes in the Batman movies, which, you know, in the dark Knight, like the car sequence, which just always struck me as like really poorly edited and just very incoherent at times. This one wasn't as, um, incoherent, but you could tell that he was struggling to to make sense of it himself. Like he was trying to figure <laughs> out, oh shit, what do I show here? What do I? And and I think that's that's really why Pattinson. I mean, I keep going back to this. He's the one that's trying to go back and forth through time, trying to figure out which which you know which key or which door to unlock, which this this or that. Um, and he's even like at the end unsure if he pulled it off. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way of looking at it uh, to, to kind of excuse maybe the messiness. But it definitely loses some of its momentum at that point um, because you're at what, like two and a half hours almost. So, yeah, it's but just I, hard I, to it keep really it boils up. down to it really boils down to what you're looking for uh, in the movie. I mean, if, if you're looking for something that, quote unquote, makes sense, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you're looking for just, uh, you know, kind of a big spectacle a movie that that really is um just it I, I truly believe it's having fun at certain times when i've never really seen nolan have fun like this in certain respects uh, his movies always have struck me as like i mean maybe memento uh in parts of the prestige but this one i mean yeah. even when he's you know all of these little throwaway lines uh, you know this is cowboy shit or you know what's happens happened happened <laughs> or like they say that seven times and then the, also some of some of the score feels you know like this wheezing bane breathing like mask <laughs> shit that's happening which i thought was just really strange so, i mean i feel like nolan is it's kind of having fun for the first time with this movie but actually whether that, that yeah whether that's that really true i i love that you said that because i think that pinpoints something about this movie i mean i've already kind of brought up like it's just filled with cool shit it's like four movies smashed together um it's funny in a way that he has i i really think you hit the nail on the head by saying like i think he's just having a lot of fun <laughs> like even inception felt like a little too uh, you know he's he's gotta keep talking about the dead wife and the two kids and he's he's gotta ground it in this like story of a guy who thinks his father was disappointed in him and it really feels like this time he wrote a script where he's like i just want to cut loose man like as much as christopher nolan can like maybe only doing like a half Windsor instead of a double, like <laughs> Brian, you know, I think we lost. <laughs> just not loosening the tie, but just tying it a different way. <laughs> and he he pulls it off, you know. It's it it's not. I mean, you could definitely make this movie like deep and meaningful, but I think generally it's just a lot of fun and a lot of like my friend Arthur again bingo cards out people um he he saw this movie the same night that i did and he's like i don't know that i understood it but oh my god it was so fun and i can't wait to watch it again because like there's just a like my brain won't comprehend some of the stuff that i saw and i want to see if i can make sense of it and even if i can't it's like a magic trick you know like i know that it's not real and maybe i'll never figure it out but half the fun is just being entertained while my brain knows that it's being tricked and I, I like that Nolan found yet another way to do that <laughs> through this crazy concept of the future attempting to destroy us all. 
Well, okay. Well, then, so Brana, you didn't feel was weighing this down in the same way as an Inception, for instance. No, I mean, not really. I, I, I didn't have a problem with Brana. I mean, he's a bad guy with a Russian accent. He's really <laughs> cruel. I was a little shocked by how rough he got with Elizabeth Debicki because usually in a movie like this, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have him like pistol whipping her and then like going to step on her face. Yeah, yeah. it's like, that's that's kind of another thing where it's like t- t- Nolan really skirts the line of what a PG thirteen movie will be because usually in a Bond movie you would just have like one slap. It's like oh, he's a bad guy. <laughs> I think the Brana stuff is definitely the weakest just because it's it it is striving for this this sense of of emotional conflict and sacrifice that just did not feel of peace with the rest of the movie. Um but again, luckily it wasn't as as much of the the quote unquote plot as maybe it could have been. But I don't know. I mean, Michael, I definitely I I'm torn because I like on Letterboxd, I was like, I don't like this movie. I'm not going to hit that star. <laughs> <laughs> but I could talk about this movie for a long time. So what does that say about the movie? I mean, it's it's tough. It's like, I don't know how to quantify it in the, in a traditional sense. Um, I really understand the frustrations of, of like going through it the first time because I like the first 20 minutes, I actually, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is so stuffy and and what are they talking about like why why have a scene that's like five minutes long that's you know with martin donovan on a boat and it's like (laughs) but you know i think i made peace with the fact that this is what the movie is so let's like put that aside and like try to figure out how you know how i'm really going to respond to this and um yeah it's i think that's it says more about the movie than I mean, most Hollywood films don't even, you know, don't even require that that level of investment. So only only he could have done this. Yeah, no, I mean, to me, it it feels almost a little bit like um, face off in just the way where it's like, this is slightly absurd, but it's a pretext to do a bunch of really awesome stuff. And we don't often get high concepts, kind of middle brow action cinema like that anymore, you know? You see this as a middle brow. Do, do you think a lot of like meat and potato? I don't mean to be constant. Do you think a lot of meat and potato action fans are going to like this? I, I haven't talked to many, many people yet because it's still twenty bucks. <laughs> so there's a lot, mean, lot of people you know who are waiting until HBO or five dollars or whatever. But yeah. I, I, I'm just curious. Do you think most people will like this? Or alternately, if this was in theaters, do you think this would have been a big hit? Let's play the hypothetical game. <laughs> Let's, I don't want to throw Arthur under the bus. <laughs> but he, for all of... Poor <laughs> <Or> Arthur. <laughs> yeah, but for all of for all of his, like, fanciness and, you know, we're very close to everything. I think that he is generally a kind of meat and potatoes film person. Um, again, he, he once said to me, I watched a Tom Cruise movie last night and then couldn't name a single thing about it. We still don't know if he actually watched a Tom Cruise movie that night or if he just saw a trailer and thought that he watched a movie. Like, that's the level of 
of like normal human engagement where it's not like me where it's like, oh, I saw this weird French movie that had the same cinematographer that worked on a movie that eventually like became something else. You know, like he just exists and wants to watch a movie and wants to have fun with it. And he loved this. So like as far as what I've got to go on, that's it. And so I think that, yeah, people would have had the same reaction that I have, where they're just like, not sure I understand the time travel stuff. Not sure it matters. It fucking ruled. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not even like <laughs> Memento, where understanding it helps you to like gain the deeper emotional aspect of what happened with Sammy Jenkins and everything and Leonard. I think that this movie could honestly function as just a series of awesome, weird images that that entertain you. <laughs> I think that that's good enough, honestly. See, I'm with you, but they still want me to care about things like Elizabeth Debicki. Uh, so let me, uh, instead of but me I mean, just like how saying much? her name like, over you... and over again, I, I, <laughs> no, I have a question. Okay, so during the heist on the highway, uh, yeah. uh, he decides to toss the oh Jesus Christ! What did they call it? <laughs> the, al- the algorithm. Uh, I guess. Call- yeah, yeah well, one of the nine algorithm. algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> God, this fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> so he tosses one of the nine algorithms to save to Becky. Which, why the fuck does he care about Tabeki when previously he's like, you know, I gotta do what I gotta do. And then she immediately dies in the next scene. Like, he lets her die in the next scene. Like, what? Why? Well, no, because then he he takes her through the turnstile. (laughs) Just give me, like, if you're gonna fridge someone, (laughs) if you're gonna do this type of motivation, like, do it and move past it here it just labors over it for like it's like 30 minutes of this movie in tonal and like give them something or don't do it at all <laughs> well i again as i said i you need to have debicki because she has a son she cares about and that literally <laughs> makes her the only person with any investment in the concept of the future and that may sound Isn't mercenary. Isn't John David Washington? John David Washington doesn't have anything to live for, except for... He's John Connor. He's John Connor. Yeah. I kept the... thinking of Terminator in this, for this, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, like... I think he... I think that that goes... It, it can. It's a tension with, like, the fatalism and the nihilism. You know, if, if there is a hope for the future, like, how does that match with nolan's insistence that he just wants to fuck around and in the and just claim to be talking about the future when in reality all that matters is what's right in front of you um so i i think that's why maybe what michael's talking about is like it just doesn't have the same weight in terms of if you're asking me to enjoy these other like really elaborate beautiful uh you know timelines that are overlapping and action scenes and stuff like this yeah the the more the more emotional, the more like, he's beating me, you know, like, oh, I'm never going to see my son again. I mean, like, how many times does she say that in the movie? And it's just, yeah, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't have the same impact as the other stuff. And I think that's just the weird synergy of this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it it's a necessary part for the mechanics of the film that may not add as much to like whatever emotional impact it has. Um, there may also be a part of me that's just like, this is an action film. Of course, there has yeah. to be this type of thing in it. I, I like the fact, though, that it seems almost completely platonic. I don't know if that counts yeah. for anything. <laughs> but he did say, have you slept with my wife yet? And he's like, not yet. <laughs> but I think at that point, <laughs> he's know, just... He could have just, just said no, but he's... He's just he's just trying to piss off a yeah. Russian Kenneth Branagh, whose name I can't remember. Oh my god, balls in the throat. We didn't even talk about that scene. <laughs> but the, okay, what there's, I love is... There's some pleasure. <laughs> I love that... He is just constantly trying to be like scary Russian guy, and John David Washington couldn't give a shit. He's like, <laughs> "You are, you are literally like a fifth of what I'm dealing with right now." Because <laughs> by this point, he's he's had to talk to the arms dealers. He's had to like run around a bunch. It's, so as far as he knows, this is just the next step to figuring things out. And he's almost like disappointed that this is the guy with the dead man switch. That, like, this is the dude who the world hinges on. And the entire reason it is the guy that the world hinges on is because he's a narcissist who only cares about power and money in the present and could give a shit whether or not the world goes on. If I... (laughs) (laughs) Which, it's so funny when that happened, because I'm like, oh, this is just Mission Impossible 2 without the melodrama. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, isn't that all we wanted for Mission Impossible 2? <laughs> no, I, I love the melodrama in Mission Impossible 2. The whole stay alive, I won't leave you, and then he jumps out the fucking building. <laughs> that, that scene rolls. <laughs> I think that's actually Hans, weirdly enough, uh, that uh, score cue as well. <laughs> that's what this movie I needed. It needed Valera to lean Ford. into the melodrama then. <laughs> Give me some I still don't scenes. think that that's what I need. I still don't think that we're ready for a a Christopher Nolan melodrama. <laughs> Especially if he wrote it. <laughs> Is Inception not a melodrama? In a way? Eh, I don't know. Maybe not. That's more of a psychodrama. I don't know. <laughs> I do. You know, it's weird you're talking about the violence because now I'm thinking... I want to know what a, a Christopher Nolan R-rated movie is in the 2020s. Like, we, the last R-rated movie, I think, is Memento, isn't it? Uh, or no, yeah. Insomnia? No, it might have been Insomnia. After Memento. Insomnia is, is Insomnia? Well, and that was before he I was mean, making these, you know, these big movies. Yeah, I, why is he so beholden to pg-13 that, that's my I think question it's, it's probably money <laughs> i mean he's I, I mean i guess yeah <laughs> but it just it just seems it, it seems all, all all like everything's a test now like how can i make this pg-13 like he's trying so hard to make this movie pg-13 without yeah. you know neutering it completely it just seems that's weird like, Man, you would be so much happier just to, you know, <laughs> just have a squib in there or something. Just <laughs> What's weird to me is I have a firm memory of Dunkirk being rated R, but I think it's just because that movie is so fucking tense. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure it's PG-13. But. It is PG. I just looked it up, and I was like, this is incredible that this is rated PG-13. Because I have, like, never been more tense and anxious in a movie theater. And yet, only PG-13. <laughs> but I, I yeah, also I, just don't understand why certain people die in a Christopher Nolan movie and other people don't when they're, like, <laughs> in the same situation. Like, when Pattinson and... and uh, you know, John David Washington make that assault on the high rise, and the first thing Pattinson does is just shoot the guy, whereas the <laughs> other the other guy gets to you know just gets to pass out, you know just just choke you know sleeper hold and then but it's like why does that guy have to die and the other guy didn't like it, it just none of it makes sense to me from an action standpoint. But well, I guess see, now I've got to I got to go back and I got to see like does John David Washington tend to kill people in this movie? Well, Pattinson's yeah, maybe the one that kills the guy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing is like maybe like the movie is about John David Washington not killing people, I don't, and don't Pattinson know. on the other hand is just like, look, I've been here a bunch before. We're just yeah, gonna... I've killed a lot of people. Wait, he <laughs> blew up an opera house in the first scene. <laughs> I don't know if it's not about him killing people. He didn't yeah, know. I'm pretty so sure he it was the, a lot of people. It was the bad cops who wanted to blow up the opera house, oh. and he threw it up into yeah, the balcony so that it wouldn't kill all the people in the seats. <laughs> Because as you said, that whole <laughs> that whole thing was just a, a false flag to try to get the guy who had the piece of the algorithm. Is that what that was? Yeah, go on. Did that first you. scene <laughs> does the van scene make more sense on that second go? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> because it's so fast. Everything happens so fast in the first 15 minutes. But um yeah, I mean, they're even trying to explain it as it's happening. It still doesn't, still doesn't do justice. I mean, but but I think for that one, just watching him, you know, maneuver those those corridors and slide under the coat rack and just yes. people are dead for some reason. They're, the coat rack lady's dead. <laughs> Who knows why? Um, but the you know, is she dead or did she pass out from the alive. gas? She oh, I don't him. know. The the gas was going into the the symphony not out so i have no idea but yeah it, it makes a little bit more sense the second go around and then him pulling out the teeth is that that made no sense the whole seven o'clock thing like i still don't understand that part okay so so <laughs> he's like i understand and then he starts turning the clock back i'm like what is going on here so basically it's a torture scene because he wants to know where the rendezvous is and yeah. he knows that john david washington will hold out as long as he can because by seven o'clock everyone will be gone and <laughs> so like, he i'm gonna turn the clock back <laughs> well he's basically just saying like you can't trust this clock I yeah. control this clock. You don't actually know what time it is. I'm just going to keep torturing you. <laughs> and so it's like an incentive to break. If if you're holding out for seven o'clock and then this guy's just like, is it seven? I don't know. Let's just turn this clock. Like, who knows? <laughs> like, that might break your soul if you've already let your teeth get ripped out. I guess. Yeah. I would have just liked to see him, you know, torture the guy. <laughs> it's like, why, why do we have to talk about this? <laughs> it's just another level those, of, those of psychological torture laid on top of it. Yeah, a, a medically induced coma, not not to, to, to repair <laughs> your mouth, to rebuild your mouth. And so, well, what, what yeah, because he's got to get his teeth back. And if it's a cyanide pill, that's like a lower dosage, it could still, you know, 
fuck up your mouth. <laughs> if you if you need another movie, if you need another movie to point this out to you, think about Silva Thank in you. in um, the the Skyfall. Javier Bardem's character. Okay, I don't remember that scene at all, but I will take you when he takes it. out his jaw <laughs> prosthetic to like show M that like his suicide pill failed. No, see, you people don't watch yeah, enough been, spy shit to get this. I do. I just have short term memory. <laughs> I think the fact that it comes, you know, like in minute seven. And you're still trying to catch up with what just happened before in the opera. I was like, man, these these scenes, they're moving, moving fast. <laughs> oh my god! But I love that. Like that's that's what I love about Nolan. Again, I just love, I love that. Like in the first, I don't know, like in in the Prestige, you see like the main character die in the first five minutes. It's the craziest goddamn thing. And um, yeah, I just I love that. I love I love his his style of storytelling is just like I'm on that wavelength, you know, like for mm-hmm. whatever reason it works for me. Uh, Glenn, I'm, I know you mentioned a little bit that you're saying that it's the first time you feel like he's been fun in a while. So mm-hmm. is this the first Nolan film as well that you've liked in a long time? Is this an outlier in, in his film biography? I mean, in that sense, well. I guess again, like I don't know if I necessarily like this movie. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I did like it in the traditional sense, but it was very watchable. And you I think said like some super positive things about yeah. this movie. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally. But I mean, I think that's that's ultimately the the conundrum with this movie for me is like I don't need to say if I liked it or not. I I guess I enjoyed watching it, but I I enjoyed talking about it more than more than anything, just because it's bringing up a lot of these elements that I think have become so numbing with Nolan for a long time. And then talking about them through this fresh lens maybe is, is more fun than anything. Um, but it's not an outlier for me. I mean, I've, I've liked his films in the past for sure. I, I'm not as high as on the dark Knight or, you know, the dark Knight rises or even the prestige. I'm not a fan of, but, um, you know, I so like, what Dunkirk, would you say is your it, favorite of his? Um, I, I didn't like Interstellar. I, I love <laughs> Memento when it came out, but I haven't seen it in forever. So, I mean, I'm not the biggest Nolan <laughs> fan by any means. Okay. But I, I, I did feel like, you know, this one was, I, I mean, I would definitely watch this again before I would watch most other <laughs> Nolans. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I did like it. I, I don't know. I'm still working that out. I just get like, it sounds like you liked it. <laughs> parts of it a lot i liked parts of it a lot and then there were other parts where i was just like it was groaning i was groaning through it um but i guess i was more forgiving the how second many times time have you watched this i've seen it twice now see that's so. you i liked it a lot and i've only seen it once and you're like oh, i don't think i liked it i've seen it twice here's all yeah. the things i really like yeah. about it yeah but again it's like i, I you know saying i liked it right now i, I mean it, it's it's tough to quantify a movie like that when i'm still breaking it down in my head but i mean i guess no, i did I, I, I would recommend it uh but you know would i sit through it again tonight no <laughs> would i sit through it again probably next year probably not but i mean i would i would recommend it because it's something that feels you know singular and big and and worth watching um yeah i don't know if that makes sense maybe i'm just turning myself around again tenant style <laughs> turn style you, you gotta plead the fifth at this point <laughs> yeah. 
know, it's it, you see, that's that's interesting. I think that's what I'm going back and forth on whether I do think it's it's singular and whether only Nolan can do this. I mean, it, it's really funny because going back uh, to this, which is not helpful to listeners, but when Jordan was talking about how much he liked this film because of how sparing it is and how much exposition <laughs> and just all of these things that are counterintuitive <laughs> to what you would expect <laughs> to like about this. You know, I, I joked with him. I'm, I'm like, is this Christopher Nolan's black hat? Is that what you're saying? And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because I, I, on one hand, like I, thinking of these elements in someone else's hands, I'm like, oh, I might like this movie way more in Michael Mann's hands, mm. which is a really unfair. I don't think Michael know, Mann would uh, make this movie. What? Michael Mann would be furious at this I don't think script. Michael Mann's interested in making it this type of movie. <laughs> yeah, I no. would agree with that second part, but I disagree that he couldn't make it. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying he couldn't. I think that he is a talented director who could do anything he wants. I think that he would punch whoever brought this to him <laughs> it's like make it simple get rid of the time travel <laughs> get rid of... what if we just had this be about a thief what if we just kept the uh <laughs> the art forgery thing I, yeah it's i i i guess yeah michael man's a, a weird thing but i just think it's i'm, I'm going back and forth on whether i think this is is singular and then whether i do think it's it, it's that unique because i i think as as much as some of these sequences have a certain lightness that's very unusual i i still think this is weighed down by a lot of self-indulgences that kind of come with the territory and and i think that's what's strange is like maybe even more so than some of the nolans that i'm like this is kind of bland. <laughs> like this feels like a missed opportunity to me, missed opportunity to me based on how much of the like raw material here I think is uh, stupid in all the right ways. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, love is the only force in the world is not stupid in the right way for me. Do you just wish that like Michael Bay had made this instead? No. <laughs> No, because then I really couldn't tell what was going on in that final sequence. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> the, the, that plane explosion, though, it would be a big explosion. Yeah. Would, Seven would have done different, a different angles. Angle <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's always, I guess this is what rubs me the wrong way about Nolan, is there's always this certain element of like a masturbatory, like, like, the fact that he can't just tell a movie or make a movie in like linear fashion, like he's got to overlap everything so many, so many times to the point of, you know, of it, there is a certain arrogance about that that I, I can't quite pinpoint all the time. Um, that rubs, that turns me off to his work, um, that he's constantly above the viewer and he's constantly kind of overlapping things and challenging and challenging you to kind of figure things out, uh, you know, either logically or, you know, giving up and saying this is illogical to the point of, um, you know, suffocation. But I mean, I guess this just speaks to the whole, you know, con my conflicting emotions about the movie, um, because on, on one hand, I, I really enjoyed it. But on the other hand, 
there's this self-indulgence that Michael's talking about and making peace with that is, is tough. I think, I think for me, I, I understand that the desire to call it self-indulgence, but at the same time, like I love what he does so much that it doesn't feel like self-indulgence. It feels like he's just a guy who knows what a certain segment of people want and is very (laughs) eager to give it to them. (laughs) You know, like, I think that that that, you know, as crazy as that sounds like it's not to be discounted because he is incredibly popular. So it's not like, I don't know, some someone else who's less popular, who like no one ever likes his movies and they don't make any money. And you're just like, he's just going to keep chugging and doing his thing. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Nolan senses the desire from a segment of the population for movies that go to this level of spectacle and have this level of like confusion if you really want to call it that but <laughs> are still fun i think that you know and he's he's got that he's got the goods to deliver that and like as long as he does it i'm going to be there waiting for it mm. i so, think there is something to say too about the the puzzle box nature of this isn't necessarily a puzzle box in the normal nolan sense like i I think it's fascinating that even the (laughs) the the twist in quotation marks of who hired him is like such an afterthought it's like it's Mm -hmm. a thing they joke about in the final lines in the movie like for as many potential mysteries as this sets up Mm -hmm. like you know, uh, you know, something like Looper, for instance, made so much of the grandfather paradox. <laughs> Here, Rattinson literally says something to the effect of, it's a paradox. There's your answer. <laughs> like, I, there's something, I think there's something appealing there to me that does feel a little, uh, like, it's it's interesting that you're talking about that, that certain above-it-all condescension that's sometimes there for Nolan. Um, that doesn't feel like it's it's here for me i almost feel like no one is no, yeah, almost this, as this lost one. in the script as like any of his viewers <laughs> which yeah. is weirdly comforting <laughs> I, I, um, I think that different scenes are, are have it for in different levels you know like certain scenes there's definitely like that what you just described like throwing your arms up and let, let's go on the roller coaster ride and see what happens um i i think in the past, that's what's bugged me a lot about Nolan's work. Um, this one, I think, which is maybe why I'm so positive in my in my comments, is that for for the first time in a long time, I felt like that was less of a a specter over the whole thing. I love that there's a point in this movie where Robert Pattinson says, "Like what happens, happens," and that's not like nihilism. That's like faith in the mechanics of the universe. And for some reason, that optimistic is it? Yeah, it's it's a weirdly optimistic way of like looking at what the hell is happening in this movie (laughs) because they bring up constantly like, what about free will? And she's like, it wouldn't have risen into your hand if you hadn't gone to drop it. So like, yeah, it's it's fine. But there is this you know bootstrap paradox. Like if you you know go kill your grandpa, how could you go and do it because you never would have been born and. Pattinson says, like, but apparently the future just hates us so much that they're willing to roll the dice on blowing us up. Yeah. And I love the fact that he he has that, like, weirdly optimistic act of it. And, you know, it's 
it's so strange. It's so odd. The movie is so bizarre in that way that, that it handles things like that, but it really, it really pays off. <laughs> I will say that John David Washington does murder two people in the final scene. So <laughs> I mean, that's all we ever want. <laughs> that's true. So he does, he does build up to killing people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But they were also going to kill Elizabeth Debicki. So which we're back to this now. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be done. But I think that, like, he, you know, he brings up the fact that, like, you know, we, he, he has a weird kind of greater morality than most Nolan characters. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio, I believe, would have killed a hundred Elizabeth DeBeckys if it meant getting back to his children. And John David Washington in this movie is willing to risk, you know, leaving knots untied or loose ends open because he has some kind of platonic interest in making sure that this woman and her child are fine. It's, it's kind of interesting that we don't know anything about him, like literally nothing about him. It, All we know is that child? he was willing to die to keep his team safe. And that's like all that, that is, was important. It's literally it. <laughs> yeah. Also, he's really mean to Mater D's. Really why, when it exploded, did it become ice? Can, it, can anyone tell okay, me so how that works? His... <laughs> you, you're really going to ask that at minute 80? God damn it. I'm, I'm, I was about to I was, but Brian, I can tell, actually wants to say something. <laughs> I was almost ready to say, like, we should wrap up. Um, so I will say that a thing that I liked was you have this concept of like entropy moving backwards. Like they've inverted the entropy of these objects. And so like he has to breathe inverted oxygen because his lungs can't absorb forward moving oxygen, (laughs) which is a very heady concept, but it also makes for a lot of cool moments where like, you know, if they're outside, they have to wear oxygen masks and then they like walk into an oxygen tent. And so their ability to move through time is very odd and very like strangely logistically impossible almost at times. Um, <laughs> the reason that he freezes is because the heat exchange is happening in reverse because his cells and atoms are moving backwards in time. There you go, Michael. Uh, and like straight, the problem is that yeah. I don't know physics enough to explain it beyond that. You just have to like if if moving forward a fire burns you, if you're moving backwards but the fire's still there, the heat exchange is going to be swapped and so you will freeze because of the energy that's being moved in the wrong direction. Somehow I don't think it works that way. But I I don't know if it like Here's the thing, we've never inverted anything. (laughs) So I don't know if it, like, but in in terms of a theoretical concept, it makes sense and I love it. (laughs) I I do think Nolan has definitely watched a few Michael Mann movies recently because the the, the boat sequences make no sense otherwise. I mean, it's just, these are are boats that Mann would just, you know. They're like catamaran hydrofoils. It's so weird. I love it. <laughs> it's so funny because I was watching that uh, with with Emily, and and she was like, 
we watched that and then it went to the next scene and I was like, do you, is that what you, is that how you interpreted that? And she was like, I don't know. I'm still thinking about the boats from the last scene. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like the perfect review of the movie. I don't know. I'm still thinking about the boats. boats. (laughs) Very nice suits, nice boats, nice car. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, the movie's got style to spare. But a car that yeah. is fast but doesn't look fast. <laughs> Whatever, man. I also love the fact that, like, um, headquarters loses radio contact. And so they say, like, you know, are they still yes. moving forward? And, like, they are because they're literally being pushed. And that's the entire reason for boxing them in is basically then to just shove them along so that that one yep. aspect that would possibly alert the authorities is gone. Like, that's the kind of yeah. shit that I love. I, I enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. It's the kid smashing his Tonka trucks together, you know? What would yeah, when you brought that this? up earlier about the plane, I was like, well, let's talk about that car scene because that's the <laughs> goddamn craziest thing on Earth. Then the cops show up anyways, of course. Well, yes. <laughs> Which doesn't because matter. <laughs> there's a temporal pincer movement, you see. <laughs> I am, um, I again, just, uh, oh. we, we, we are kind of wrapping up, but I just love the fact that the sure. military is like on board and that when they're doing the final assault, like they have the two, the blue team and the red team and the blue team is like, from the future moving to do the pincer movement to do and like they're like how come we can't see them and it's like well because they don't want us to know how it happened and john david washington asked the question and he's just told by a beleaguered military man who's done this a bunch like you have to stop thinking so linearly or you just can't even come with us (laughs) (laughs) which is such a weird thing for the protagonist of the movie to be told when he's like the super spy who we assume is the guy who is in charge of everything to suddenly just be slapped down by a guy who's like, this is a Tuesday, mate. Like, let's just be cool. <laughs> <sighs> so well, I really like this movie. Aaron Taylor Johnson in this movie? <laughs> I didn't even realize that was Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> Until right now? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Ives and Wheeler. I don't know who Wheeler is. I just looked her up. Fiona Dorif. She was cool. Brian, we keep losing you, so we should start to. <laughs> yeah, we should wrap this up. Our our luck is running out. Um, yeah, in my parents' house in Houston, I have. It's an incredibly large house. Oh, this is gonna make my life in Slack so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> and the Wi-Fi router is located in the library. <laughs> and my okay, room <laughs> is located far from the library and so I lose a bit of the uh, the signal. So I might be I might be losing us. Um so I'll just bring my laptop towards the door <laughs> and we can wrap go, up. Go, go on, go Are there any the final parlor thoughts or the it's a very open floor plan so like if I'm not like cloistered in my room almost in the closet like I can hear everything. Okay. Luckily, I have a very large walk-in closet. Anyway, um, let's. Uh, are there any final thoughts that anyone wants to put out before we wrap up our discussion on Tenet? 
Uh, for me? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I, from hearing me talk, I'm very conflicted on this movie. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think the more the more I talked about it, the more I kind of warmed to it. But it's a very watchable film. It's, it's a very enjoyable film at times. I mean, it, it does kind of depend on what you're looking for. I think Brian came in with, with kind of, uh, you know, uh, being open to the fact that this was going to be what it was going to be and then just enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I, I, I'm kind of in between you two on my, on my, uh, on the spectrum here, but overall I think it was, it's a movie that you should see for yourself and kind of decide I don't think anyone should just write it off as, as another Christopher Nolan movie and then, you know, stick their nose up at it. I think it's it's well worth your time, all two and a half hours of it. Um, and Pattinson was a highlight for me, for sure. Love Pattinson. Yeah. He's on such a roll. All right. I know, I know everybody says that, but just like last every new years. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, that is it for today. Uh, we hope everyone has enjoyed hearing us talk about Tenet. If you have any thoughts, you can find us on Twitter at FilmStageShow, email us podcast FilmStageShow.com. No, it's just the FilmStage.com. And of course, you can give to our Patreon, <laughs> Patreon.com slash the FilmStageShow. Uh, go there to give us your money. And if you would like a free 30-day subscription to movies, so you can check out The Madness of Horoski. If that is indeed how you pronounce it, we are not sure. <laughs> Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. Uh, Michael Slidell, what are we talking about next week? I think we might be talking about uh, some unidentified parts of the small acts. Uh, it's not quadrilogy. What, what is it for I five, thought we were, guys? <laughs> I thought we were pushing that because we were going to talk about Soul. Oh, maybe we are going to talk about that because that's wide. Uh, That's on Disney Plus on the 25th. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe we are talking about Soul. Um, I didn't have a (laughs) small axe. I I forgot. I yeah. Well, that small axe did just win like the critics circle of L.A. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it did. like the entirety of it. All, all of it, right? All of Small Axe won. All We're five not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. So anyway, I we're talking about it, Soul. So I'm going to say it's either Soul or Small Axe. <laughs> okay. I I will. Uh... Yeah, we'll tweet it out. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. it for today uh, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears uh, we'll start of course with our guest Glenn where uh, can people find more of your work online well my uh, twitter handle is at match cuts that's where I post uh, most of my reviews but uh, I think I've I'm going to be posting something on my newsletter which is afterglow cinema which was linked up on my twitter bio so going to do a big uh, awards season kind of um, film diary because I've watched about 30 movies in the last 15 days and haven't written a newsletter. So uh, <laughs> that'll be kind of the next big thing I do. All right. Mike Snydell. Uh, what? what? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell. I'm on Letterboxd where I've also been 
uh, sneaking in some hot takes on movies people really like. Um, Not a surprise. uh, (laughs) Me, never. Uh, What else? Oh, um, film stage lists. uh, The the actual Our Parent sites, that list will uh, be out sometime this week or next because uh, we're yeah <laughs> we're putting in end of year lists uh, by tomorrow tonight. morning. Um, well, tonight, uh, well, tonight slash tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'm gonna make that tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find me there. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. We're exhausted. Um, Oh, yeah, man. Too many times through the turnstile. A week. Uh, as for me, <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. Personal site, BrianJRowan.com. Really everywhere you can find me at Brian J. Rowan. And, of course, you can find my writing and every episode of this podcast at FilmStage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Where are we going?